Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. It is our pleasure to be joined now by MLB analyst Sarah Langs. You can follow her on Twitter at Slangs on Sports. She is a, uh, well, at least I think you'd have to say semi-local product, University of Chicago, a maroon. Sarah, thanks so much for hopping on. It's great to talk to you again. Thank you so much for having me. Great to chat with you. So I have to, I have a couple of friends. I have a handful of friends who all attended the University of Chicago as well. They all, they've all walked away with like the, the best looking quarter zip or hoodie <laughs> that lets everybody know that they went to the University of Chicago in a very like, in a very polite, but I am also very proud to have gone to a prestigious university. <laughs> do they just, do they hand them out? Like, how does it work? Oh my gosh, I would like one. I mean, I have a sweatshirt I got when I got into school when I was still a senior in uh, high school that I ordered online. But beyond that, I don't think so. But you know what? There were some very cool hoodies that people would walk around with on campus. So they all must have been going to the same place, but I missed out. They've got they've got good swag. That's what they've got. They've got some good hoodies. We'll have to find one when you're in town. We'll, we'll hand it over. That's what we'll do. <laughs> I was uh, I was scrolling around, and as you know, I, I saw your piece on MLB.com titled Why Vaughn's Start to 2020 is Built to Last, and then Andrew promptly won on the injured list. But he's still a big point of this White Sox offense and this White Sox attack. So I wanted to get into this piece and, and talk to you about what you found in Andrew Vaughn. What I found most interesting in it is that you identified things in Andrew Vaughn's production that is, as the headline says, built to last. When you look at... at tendencies of a player or skill sets of a player what things do you look at to determine whether a thing is built to last absolutely so i had so much fun writing this it was such a bummer that he went on the injured list soon after but again built to last i really think that you know once he's off the il this will continue to happen but to your question i mean the with the way that i look at how someone is doing and try to figure out if it is going to stick around is really looking at those underlying stats. So for Vaughn, I was taking a look at how hard he's hitting the ball, which he's doing very frequently, hard hit rate in the 97th percentile. That means he's making 95 plus mile an hour exit velocity contact very frequently. And the other thing I like to look at with that is sweet spot rate. So sweet spot rate takes the idea of launch angle, which has been through the ringer admittedly over the last few years, Mm -hmm. and basically says, how often are you making line drive contact? And it puts kind of like a hard hit rate to that. And to me, if you're doing those two things, whatever results you're getting are built to last. I wonder, you know, this this so dovetails with where the White Sox are offensively here. I was just looking through some of their baseball savant numbers. In expected batting average, the White Sox are sixth at two sixty four. Their actual batting average is forty points less. Their expected weighted on base is tenth in baseball at three forty three. Their actual is twenty third at two eighty six. How do you help baseball fans, You know, kind of like myself, who are new-ish to the expected uh, statistics, the expected weighted on base, the expected batting average, and square it with a conversation that's a pretty clear, like, yes, that's true, but they're not scoring runs. Where do we start to see those discrepancies? Of course. So, I mean, first and foremost, I and everyone who does any research like this 
we know that the results are what matters, but we're also talking on May 7th, right? So what's happening today may not be what happens for the rest of the year. And that's where those expected stats can really come in. So what those are looking at is the quality of contact you're making. And those differences that you pointed out essentially tell you that they're making better contact than the results they've gotten thus far. So based on the contact they've made, they should have higher batting average, higher slugging percentage, and so on and so forth. And three guys to really stand out with that are Luis Robert, Andrew Vaughn, and Tim Anderson. And those are guys who expect to really be contributing, you know, be sort of the main offensive contributors for this team. That should be very encouraging. But I know you need to actually score the runs. But what I would say to that and to fans who want to poo-poo the concept Mm -hmm. is really that this tells you that let's talk again on June 7th. This says that the tide should turn that eventually this will even out and meet a little bit closer to where those expected stats are. That's something we've talked about on the show often too, Sarah, is like, sure, at least wouldn't you rather have these expected stats and be struggling to score runs as opposed to hitting a bunch of infield singles or or seeing eye singles and going, yeah, well, we're squeaking out a couple of runs though. Don't worry about it. Yeah, I mean, I think so. You know, to win in baseball, you need all of those things to go right at some point. But I do think that you would rather be in that situation for a team that has dealt with injuries and been through a lot already in just a month than to be as a team that is scoring a lot of runs, but everything says that maybe they shouldn't be, their run differential isn't where it should be, and so on and so forth. Because that's the type of team that is about to come back down to earth, whereas the White Sox seem primed to take off, hopefully, sometime soon. Let's talk with Sarah Langs. Slangs on sports on Twitter. She's an MLB analyst. You can find her on MLB Network and all the places that cool and smart people talk baseball. <laughs> One of the things that made my jaw hit the desk, Sarah, and I, I saw like I knew this having you know broadcast all the White Sox games here, the, Andrew Vaughn's strikeout clip had gone from 21.5% down to 15% from, I believe that's last year to this year. I I knew that watching it, but didn't know it. That kind of reduction in swing and miss is, is a, a very impressive reduction, yes? It really is. And, you know, the great part about that is that 21.5% strikeout rate is just around MLB average last year. This isn't a guy who was in the 30s or 40s, that really concerning plate discipline. But for him to still say, hey, I need to get better here. I need to swing and miss less. I need to not be caught looking there and strike out less. I mean, this feels like a concerted effort to me. More focus, whatever you want to say, more comfort. I mean, it may just be second year in the big leagues, doesn't feel as much pressure, able to be himself. Whatever it is, I mean, once you're into a 15% strikeout rate, you're getting much closer to the one Soto's of the world and these guys who don't strike out very much at all. So really, really impressive change for him so far. One thing I've, I've noticed about the White Sox, too, and I think a lot of White Sox fans have, they're not walking very much. They walked at, like, a, I think it's a 9.2% rate last season, and right now it's uh, down just under 5 I believe. 
Vaughn is a guy that was walking. Yohan uh, Mankata is a guy that will walk, a 460 on base in his last three seasons. When you, when you put the lack of walks up against the expected batting average and expected weighted on base that we've talked about, I can't help but wonder that if you hit that ball, you know, whichever ball it is, that kind of hard, but there was the extra guy on board, but that pitcher had to worry about one more thing with a base runner on, maybe that's where things start to break and where we start to see the added value of, of walks, of free passes, begin to pay off when you measure the expected stuff against the actual run scoring. Absolutely. And those expected stats actually do take into account those played appearances that don't end with a batted ball. So walks and strikeouts. So I'd also say the fact that their overall team uh, and those individuals I mentioned with Vaughn and Anderson and Robert, the fact that their expected stats are in a good spot, even with the team not overall walking that much, is even more impressive because it is considering when or when they don't walk, when or when not, I guess, they're, uh, they're drawing a walk. But I, I completely agree with what you're saying there. You, I mean, you want to reach base any way you can, right? Yeah, absolutely. I did not know that the expected stuff already took into account those walks. See, that's why we called. I that is <laughs> That's really impressive math to have to do, too. I, I wonder, Sarah, I was reading Dan Zimborski's piece just the other night on Fangraphs, and it was titled, it, it was very clickbaity for White Sox fans, Are the White Sox in Trouble? You know, this whole thing. Um, yeah. Zips in the projections have, have turned now, and they see the American League Central, given the start the Twins have been off to, and Byron Buxton playing at, like, Superman levels, plus the injuries and underperformance and eight-game losing streak the White Sox were on. Apparently, this AL Central now is seen as a coin flip by some projection systems. Wow! Do you see it similarly? Do you, um, you know, given injuries, uh, still give the White Sox a, a puncher's chance, so to speak? It is, you know, obviously pretty early still. Yeah, you know, I mean, Buxton is otherworldly. It's you guys know this. You see him. I mean, it's insane. And that certainly makes me have a lot of faith in what the Twins are doing. But I do have questions about their pitching. And I do think the White Sox is fully healthy with Lance Lynn back and, you know, everybody back on that team when Ron is back, hopefully in just 10 days. I do think overall that team has more depth and talent across the board. So I, you know, I don't, I'm not a projector. <laughs> um, I'm not a projection system, but in my mind, I still see it as, a, as the White Sox division to win. Sarah, appreciate it. Appreciate but, it as yeah. always. And I, I think I think the only person in the business that would call themselves a projection system might be Dan, <laughs> but even he would probably yeah. be joking about it. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Sarah, thank you so much. Always a pleasure talking. Thanks so much for having me. You got it. Sarah Langs of MLB Network. You can find her on Twitter, Slangs on Sports. And I'm going to retweet. Actually, Eric's our producer on the other side. We're going to retweet from the ESPN Chicago, ESPN White Sox handle, uh, Sarah's piece on Andrew Vaughn. We'd meant to do that a couple of days ago and then just kind of, you know, lost our handle on it. Speaking of, of the handle, handlebar mustaches are a very popular facial, uh, facial hair accoutrement. We are, are doing something here at the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network that we're fairly proud of as it regards mustaches. As it regards mustaches and the Twitter poll question and Dylan Cease. I will tell you what we're up to, what we've been up to for two weeks now when we come back. That's White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network.
bring your family of four to a White Sox game starting at 70 bucks with a family four-pack presented by ExxonMobil. You'll get four tickets, four hot dogs, four drinks, and four chips to select games. Plus, with every purchase, you have a chance to win mobile gasoline for a year. That is a big perk, considering prices there. For tickets, visit WhiteSox.com slash four-packs for that family four-pack coming out to a Sox game. It is a great, great deal. And summer starts on Monday. We're really excited about that here at the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino, White Sox Network. It has been a long, rainy, blustery, cold, annoying, but baseball-filled spring. And the White Sox were a game away from breaking even at 500. I saw this. We talked about this on last White Sox Weekly, but I feel like it's worth bringing up again. We were watching the uh, NBC Sports broadcast with Jason and Steve here in the studios. You know, we got that on the television as we're listening to Len and DJ so that we can talk about our broadcast and do our jobs and stuff. Uh, But the folks at NBC Sports had a graphic up there. I'm sure it's a Chris Kampka graphic uh, that the White Sox had played in the most games uh, up to last Saturday in sub 50 degree temperatures. That's not. Listen, we talked a lot about the factor. and We just talked about it with Sarah Langs of MLB Network. We've talked a lot about the factors that have um, led to less than optimum results given the White Sox offensive performance, the hard hit rates, the, the balls that aren't going out, you know, the not walking, all that kind of stuff. That's not us sitting here and saying, oh, they'll be fine. You know, we're not whistling past a graveyard or anything like that. We're just pointing out some of the under the hood numbers that tell you the White Sox should be in a better spot than they are now. In about a month and a half, you know, give it, you know, a longer run of baseball. That is a good thing. That doesn't mean that you sit on your hands. That doesn't mean you rest on your laurels if you're in the White Sox front office. That doesn't mean that if you're uh, Andrew Vaughn or Yuan Mankata that you take your time coming back from injury or whatever. You, you have to work, you know, to keep those numbers up and get the results that you do want to have. But I think it is worth noting when the environment and circumstances and other things out of your control aren't really helping you much pointing those things out and saying, well, the, the best should be yet to come. That doesn't mean you can just sit there and not work to get the best. One of the things that we've been doing, uh, by the way, on our broadcast, we're actually really proud of this. We like it a lot. We're big fans uh, of the work we've done. That's just a whole bunch of self-trumpeting is all it is. We have the Twitter poll question every game, right? And we love the Twitter poll question. Uh, the folks at Drive Toyota are awesome to us and for us with the Twitter poll question. And we've gotten a lot of interaction with it. Since Dylan Cease is sporting the Freddie Mercury-like mustache now, and Waddle and Sylvie on our flagship station talk to him about the mustache, about what it does for him, the power it brings him, all that kind of stuff. And since Dylan Cease is pitching as well as he is, we decided that the Twitter poll question on Dylan Cease start days is going to be mustache-related. So we're running our best mustaches in baseball Twitter poll tournament with every Dylan Cease start. It's been running for two starts already. We began back on April 27th in that Dylan Cease start. Uh, Dylan, on that day, had himself a good one, uh, not as good as the May 2nd start against the Angels, uh, where the guy was just absolutely lights out, seven innings, scoreless, 11 strikeouts, one hit. Did the mustache power him to such a wonderful performance? Who can say? But the mustache poll is out there. So in week one of the mustache Twitter poll question, uh, oh, by the way, the contestants for this Twitter poll question are all offered by me, uh, our producers, Eric Ostrowski, Jake Cantu, uh, Tyler Aki, Charlie Bevins, wh- whomever's working, the producer gets a pick of a mustache. 
I've got a mustache pick. Len and DJ offer mustache picks as well. So in week one, it was Rod Beck versus Randy Johnson versus Bill Buckner versus Jason Giambi. Rod Beck, shooter, took the win in week one. Second start of the year, uh, second start rather of the mustache poll with Dylan Cease on the mound was Davey Lopes, Derek Holland, Cap Anson, and Keith Hernandez. Keith Hernandez walked away with that one, 52% of the vote. So your two winners so far are Keith Hernandez and Rod Beck. We've got another Twitter poll question coming your way in just a little bit. The nominees are being crunched by our computers in the back, and they will spit out four quality contestants of today's Twitter poll mustache question. It's a mustache question. Get it? It's a, it's a mustache question. Ah, you get it. I get it. I get it. You get it. Hi, Jake. So... Once we have winners of this Twitter poll mustache question, the winners will be pitted against each other in frequent or in subsequent Dylan Cease starts. And hopefully at the end of the season in Dylan's final start, we have one mustache champion of Major League Baseball or at the very least of our Twitter poll question all brought to you by Drive Toyota. We're tweeting out these answers or we're tweeting out the possible options for you. They in the tw- follow us at ESPN White Sox on Twitter. When we tweet these Twitter poll questions, they come with a link. Oh, it's up. The Twitter poll it is Great. up. It's yeah, up. Fantastic. It up. Jake, I'm going to ask you to hit me with our contestants of the day in just a second. When we tweet these out, it also comes with links to the baseball reference pages for each one of these mustachioed greats. Uh, maybe not great at baseball, or at least at the major league level, but certainly great mustaches. So, in case you're like, what did Cap Anson's mustache look like? Or how powerful was Davy Lopes' lip bear? Like, we, you can find out right there on the picture on the link. So, Jake Cantu, who has now stepped into the producer's booth, uh, who are our four contestants for today's Twitter poll mustache question? Not that anyone matters, but I have no idea who half these people are. That's great. That's um, great. <laughs> it's, it should be noted, and I embrace I embrace the age difference here. Jake, you are 20, 22. 22. So we have a full generation of baseball between the two of us. Uh, maybe almost, eh, let's call it a full generation, mostly because I'm hosting and I don't need the ego hit. So, yeah, let's call it a full generation. Who are the names? Old Hoss Redborn is Old the first Hoss one. Old Hoss Redborn, sure. That's my pick. Uh, Old Hoss was a few baseball generations before me. Radborn pitched in the 1880s. He is a very good Twitter follow. Someone has been running the Old Hoss Radborn Twitter account for uh, the better part of a decade. It's very funny. Hoss Radborn is a Hall of Famer, uh, a pitching triple crown winner, winner of the 1884 World Series, by the way, when he was a member of the Providence Grays in the National League. He pitched for the Boston Bean Eaters. From 1886 until 1889, one year with the Boston Reds, which I believe were just the renamed Bean Eaters. Uh, And then in 1891, he pitched his final season in the pros for the then Cincinnati Reds. Old Hoss Radborn had one hell of a mustache. I wouldn't call it a handlebar necessarily. It just has a it's got the handlebar shape, but it's got a taper. It's like the tails are hanging off. They're not they're not the actual uh, facial hair sort of thing. It's just kind of long tails on the mustache. Who's next? How about a side of Jim Rice? Oh, Jim Rice, an all-time great. I think that's DJ's pick for the mustache you question. Jim Rice has a, uh, a, a Hall of Fame career of his own, a two-time silver slugger, an MVP in 1978 with the Boston Red Sox at age 28. He went to four consecutive All-Star seasons, 77 uh, to 80, 
and then again had a run of all-star selections from 83 until 86, a lifetime Red Sox. And if you ask the generation above me, right, the um, call it 40 to 51, 52-year-olds, like the Gen Xers of, of baseball fans, and they're a Red Sox fan, they will, for the most part, tell you Jim Rice is like the criminally underrated favorite Red Sox of all time kind of guy, Jim Rice. Who's next? Next, we got Gorman Thomas. Gorman Thomas is a powerful mustache. That has to be Len Casper's pick of the day. Gorman Thomas was a brewer. I actually, having gone to high school in Appleton, Wisconsin, I went down to County uh, Stadium for a couple of games and then later on, uh, what was then uh, Miller? Yeah, Miller Park after that. And one of the giveaways I got as a young man going to that ballpark was a Gorman Thomas bobblehead. It had actual hair as the mustache for Gorman Thomas. Longtime Milwaukee Brewer, uh, all-star once or twice in the MVP running once or twice, um, led the league in home runs in 79 and 39. If memory serves correctly, Gorman was, uh, if not the focal point, you know, guys like Yount and Molitor were of uh, Harvey's wall bangers, that, that powerful Brewers team that was known for their slugging percentage. Gorman Thomas, one hell of a mustache, too. Who is our fourth and final? I know it's Mr. Wade Boggs. Oh, Wade Boggs and Wade Boggs Carpet World. Uh, Wade Boggs, I, I, more Red Sox connection, obviously, a Hall of Famer, an elite contact hitter, a lifetime 328 hitter. Wade Boggs. And Ichiro Suzuki are both subjects of two of my absolute favorite pieces of baseball lore. You always heard it said, if you're in my generation of baseball fandom, when Ichiro came over to the United States in 2000 and started his Hall of Fame run just on in that version of his career, everybody would always say, oh, Ichiro's going to hit 330, he's going to hit 330. But Ichiro could hit 40 home runs in a season if he wanted to. If he wanted to. And you heard the same thing, at least the generation before mine, said of Wade Boggs. Oh, but yeah, Wade Boggs is always going to hit you 330. Don't worry about Wade Boggs. But he could hit 40 home runs if you wanted. Just like this untestable notion uh, and, and underlying, underlining rather, of this guy's talent. He could be so good at this other thing, and yet he chooses not to. Instead, he chooses to hit 330 because that's what his team needs, that kind of stuff. Interestingly, I... I did a game with, I think I did a, a, a White Sox Mariners game last year alongside Darren Jackson, and I asked him, do you think Ichiro could hit 40 home runs if he'd wanted? And before I could even ask the full question, DJ's like, oh, he absolutely he could have. Without a doubt, Ichiro could have hit 40 home runs in a season if he wanted to. He would have hit 240, but he could have hit 40 home runs, which I think is just a fascinating thing with these supremely talented ballplayers. So there it is. It's old Hoss Radborn versus Wade Boggs versus Gorman Thomas versus Jim Rice in our third Twitter poll must-ask-you-question here this season for a Dylan C. start. Now, I know what you're thinking. Connor, what happens if Dylan Cease shaves the mustache and continues pitching? Will the must-ask-you-question still go on? Of course it will. We're having way too much fun at this point. And it's, it's off the rails as it is. It has a life of its own, kind of like Dylan's mustache and his slider on most days, to be honest with you. So the mustache question will persist throughout the season. Now, the interesting thing is, if another guy in the White Sox rotation grows out a mustache, then I don't know what we do. We can't obviously run 
two mustache you pull questions, that would be ludicrous. That would lose control. It'd be like Sal Fasano's mustache. We couldn't handle it. We'll figure it out, though. Don't worry. You got White Sox Weekly. The ridiculousness is over. We'll get back to a lot of uh, pressing White Sox topics. Some news today. Apparently, Johnny Cueto, who is currently a AAA for the White Sox, is in the conversation for Wednesday's start against the Guardians. Want to know what you think of that news and what you've seen out of the White Sox over their last four wins? They are one game away from breaking even at 500 at 12 and 13. They get the Red Sox later this afternoon. I'm Connor McKnight. You're listening to White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. We're bringing you up to the pregame show. That's at 2.30. White Sox and Red Sox at Fenway. Nick Pavetta starts for the Red Sox. Dylan Cease goes for the White Sox. Game two of three. The White Sox can get back to 500 with a win. It has been a long wait. Hopefully they do exactly that. Listen, the edge is... You know, it, it 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 tilts toward the White Sox today with the pitching matchup, and that you know, it is only so much. But as Vin Scully would always say, momentum is next day's starter, and the White Sox could hardly have a better guy going than Dylan Cease. He has been he's been deluxe lately. There's there's really no other way to put it. Uh, we talked with Ethan Katz for a pregame show a couple of days ago. I want to say it was the first game against the Cubs. Yeah, it was. It was the first game against the Cubs. And we talked, you'll hear it on the pregame show. And actually, I, Jake Cantu is our producer on the other side of the glass. I'll do a little on-air producing. I know We have a cut of, of Ethan about some of the breaking stuff. Let's, let's pull that up and have it ready. I want to play that for you as well. Since I'm on the topic of Dylan Cease, it has just been a, a, a dominant run for Cease. And I want to bring up an aspect of Dylan and, and this, you know, White Sox ascension, this run toward, you know, contending from multiple AL Centrals, pushing into multiple playoffs and, and having World Series as the aspiration for the ball club uh, for years. Dylan Cease is at the center of this, at the core of this. Uh, quite frankly, the trade of Chris Sale and Jose Quintana, the two trades, are, are at the core of this as much as quite literally anything else. Cease's return to the White Sox with Aloy Jimenez is one of the biggest trades in White Sox history. And it has the potential to be the biggest with wins you know when when the windfall comes when the parades get thrown and the confetti waves and all that kind of stuff that is the hope right that's the expectation but i think what's worth noting whether it's for another pitcher down the line with the white Sox or just in talking about pitching in general dylan cease coming up into the big leagues is a story that i think needs to be thought about a little bit broke in in 2019 made himself 14 starts and threw 73 innings he had electric stuff. He threw incredibly hard. He got hit around fairly hard in starts. In 2020, his first full season where he knows, I am in this rotation, it gets cut up by a pandemic that nobody wanted, and he walked 34 guys. He led the league in 34 walks in 58 in the third innings. He had electric stuff. He threw incredibly hard, and he got hit around pretty good as well. Plus, you know, the walks. In 2021... That was the coming out party. He threw 165 and two-thirds innings. That's more than the combined total of his first two years in the big leagues. More by, I think it's 40 innings, than he ever thrown in one single season. He had 13 wild pitches. That led the league. He struck out 12.3 per nine. That led the league. He still got hit around a little bit in places. And he would lose command 
in in late innings, well, late innings in his starts, relatively, you know, like that fourth or fifth, all of a sudden things would get loose for Dylan. A couple of walks would come around and somebody would drill a double down the alley. And then there he was leaving a game, you know, tied or something like that. The ERA in 2021 was still a very good one, 391. He had himself a top 10 single season strikeout record in White Sox franchise history of 226. And yet it was still so clear with Dylan that there was still better to come. That by negating some of the walks, by being more in command of stuff, and by getting more swings and misses on his fastball, by eliminating some of the run that was on that pitch, he could be better. He has been. Boy, has he. The whip so far this season is under one. That's walks and hits per innings pitched, right? It's the guys you put on base in any given, uh, per innings pitched. .931. That is terrific. Strikeouts per nine, if you like that number, I can get you strikeout percentage in a second. I just have to scroll down here on baseball reference. 12.1, you know, right on par with where he was last season. And that's with, you know, one start of his already this year where he uh, only struck out two. I want to say that was back on the 27th. He has made five starts. He has thrown 27 innings. He has given up eight earned runs. The ERA is at 2.48. His last start was, by his own admission, the best of his career. I'm not going to argue with him. I thought that seven-inning complete game shutout against the Tigers last year was a really good one as well. But you faced the Angels um, with, with the way they'd been playing coming into that game. Yeah, I'd say that was it. You get Mike Trout striking out three times in a game. I think you could call that your best start. The promise has always been on Dylan's the, the stuff, the raw stuff. But the way he's been able to command the breaking ball, I think has put him on another level this season. I talked with Ethan Katz a couple of days ago, White Sox pitching coach, about exactly this. Here's what he had to say about how Dylan uh, uses his varying breaking balls to his success. I, I mean, I think with Dylan, everything is, you know, evolving. And, you know, last year it was the slider was a really good strike pitch for him. One of the things he worked on was getting a little bit better with the curveball, being able to be more consistent with that pitch. And now you're... You know, they got to honor the curveball, the slider, and then you got 97 and 98 coming at you along with the change up here and there. It, it, it makes it tough on hitters. It's not easy when you're throwing four pitches in the zone and they all play very well. That's Ethan Katz, White Sox pitching coach, who himself is, is building quite a reputation uh, for being able to make the tweaks and twists with pitchers that have allowed them to stay deeper in innings or strike out more or deeper in starts, all that kind of stuff. You know, the White Sox is a, is a pitching infrastructure as a place where – um, you know, guys can come and, and net results or get fixed or make the tweaks, all that kind of stuff. It's it's becoming a thing here that I know a lot of outside forces are taking note of. The White Sox have been more than interested um, and willing to take other outside interests like Codify, uh, the, the, the baseball heat mapping, baseball, the, the pitching heat maps uh, service that Lucas Giolito has kind of bought into, and yes, Monty Grandal has. A lot of others have across the league. I think Marcus Stroman of the Cubs works with them, and um, Dan Straley began working with them the very first a uh, couple of years ago. This is a this is a well-known entity at this point, Codify. There are other teams in baseball that look at third-party applications like this. You know, I mean, you ever yeah, you remember back in the day when you were playing like N64 or something like that, and you wanted more, you know, like you broke a controller, and you didn't want to go out and get a third-party controller. You wanted the original one, the OG, the first edition, the actual Nintendo controller. Maybe I'm dating myself. I think it works this way for video game systems now. 
You want the real stuff. Well, the White Sox are more open than that. They're more than willing to bring in information from other places that helps them win baseball games. I think that's to their credit, too. I think that's absolutely to their credit. It has certainly been uh, to the credit of, of, of the pitchers and catchers and hitters that have used this service uh, and others like it. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. This is White Sox Weekly. A uh, lot more to get to here before we get to the pregame show in about a half an hour. I uh, want to tell you on the list of things I'd like to get to, I was talking a little bit more about the situation with the White Sox rotation, the newt, the note, rather, the note. I think I tried to say news and note at the same time. The newt of Johnny Cueto being in the discussion for Wednesday's start against the Guardians. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Uh, I'd like to talk some about the baseball game we all watched last night, or at least I think we all watched it. I know we could all listen to it here on the network, uh, but how we watched it was a little bit different. Want to see what you think about that. We'll get into all of it, plus get you a lineup for the White Sox and Red Sox when we come back. But more White Sox Weekly when we return. I'm Connor McKnight, and this is the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Like ESPN Chicago on Facebook. Join us at Guaranteed Rate Field on Saturday, May 14th, as the White Sox take on the New York Yankees at 6.10 p.m., First 20,000 fans will receive a Tim Anderson bobblehead presented by Wintrust, Chicago's bank, getting Chicago's fans to the game. For tickets, visit WhiteSox.com slash promos. We're wrapping it up here on White Sox Weekly. A couple more things to do here. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. We're talking about the expected additions the White Sox are going to make here over the next four or five days. Tony LaRusso told reporters just the other day, he thinks Yohan Moncada could be back as soon as game number one against the Cleveland Guardians on Monday afternoon. Uh, Monday evening, pardon. I was just thinking about my own schedule, getting to the ballpark Monday afternoon. It is a Monday 7-10 start at Guaranteed Rate Field. White Sox and Guardians. That's an important series. You know, obviously, you want to take care of business here against the Red Sox. They have played, been playing very poorly lately, the Red Sox have. So you want to, you know, Lucas kind of put this way, and I think Tim Anderson did too in spring. You, you want to step on throats. When you got the chance, when you got a team while they're down, you want to take care of those things. That's why the insurance run the other night, um, last night, I should say, with Adam Engel just kind of taking it with his legs. This was back in the eighth. The White Sox were up three to one. Uh, top of the eighth rolls around. Engel gets on with a single, stole second base, tagged up on a fly ball to right. Jackie Bradley Jr. had that. He tagged and went from second to third, barely made it in. Then Reese McGuire flied out to right field. Bradley caught it right about the pesky pole. Almost a home run from Reese McGuire because of how weird that fa- uh, uh, fence is out there in right field. And Fenway, Engel scores on a sacrifice fly. I mean, that's just speed doesn't slump, right? I mean, that's how the White Sox got that one run. Two outs, a single, a stolen base. That scored a run for them, and it gave Liam Hendricks a bit more buffer when he hit the ninth. Those are the kind of ways the White Sox have won lately. It would be good. As the White Sox get back to more divisional play, you've got three against the Guardians on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, You have the Yankees for four. Then you've got five games against the Kansas City Royals in four days. Next Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. The White Sox right now are 3-9 and in the American League Central. That's not a great recipe for winning the American League Central. The Twins are as hot as you can get right now. And as much as we've talked about in this show today, 
how many things seem to be lining up well for the White Sox as we go forward. They still need to take care of business today and tomorrow morning and on Monday and on Tuesday. And that's why I think Yohan Mankata coming back into this lineup is going to be a good thing. I think Jake Berger has availed himself really well at the major league level. I think he has been fairly dangerous with the bat. Um, I think finding that patience at a major league level is a difficult thing to do. I think he's getting there. He has played, I'll be honest, much better defensively than I gave him credit for. His ability to go to the line and then turn and make a throw when needed is up there. I mean, that's that's a thing that Jake Berger can do. It, it is no knock on Jake to say that Yoan Mankata is is likely a better is a better defender and could be a better major league hitter and might be the kind of hitter that the White Sox really need in this lineup. Over the last three seasons, from 2021 back to 2019, Yoan Mankata's got a 360 on base percentage. That's the kind of stuff the White Sox offense could use. He bats from the left side against right-handed pitching. That's the kind of stuff that the White Sox could use. It is also fair to say that over the last couple of years, you know, since that 2019 season where he got a couple of MVP votes, he hit 315, slugged 548, that, that White Sox fans could want more from Yoan Mankata over the last two years. That you could see him hit for a little bit more power. But given where this lineup is at, if you paired, if you told me that over the next five, six games, you could get Andrew Vaughn back to doing what he's been doing this whole season, you know, back from that hand injury, and you could get Yoan Mankata playing at a, I don't know, caught 350 on base percentage clip, hitting 261 and slugging something like 450, you know, just kind of career norms. Career norms for Yoan Mankata. I would say that could go a long way in fixing a, a, a larger part of the White Sox offensive issues at this at this point of the season. And I think you might be able to say exactly that about the White Sox in the next five to six days. We'll see what happens with the starting rotation. I know that today the White Sox have one of their best on the mound in Dylan Cease. He'll go against Nick Pavetta. Speaking of Dylan Cease, we, we played this for you a couple of nights ago. Um, but it was on one of the pregame shows and here on White Sox Weekly. It's kind of we, it's the week that was in White Sox play. And I wanted to bring this to you because I don't know that enough people caught it. The White Sox had Dylan Cease mic'd up for that really cold, rainy, gross, awful game against the Cubs. Game one. Dylan Cease was mic'd up. The other voice you're going to hear on this is Lucas Giolito. So as we end the show today, I wanted to bring you the mic'd up session, all the highlights, the good stuff. From a mic'd up Dylan Cease at Wrigley Field. The White Sox would win this game. Tim Anderson would homer. That's worth remembering. And Dylan Cease called it. So here it is. It's all mic'd up. And after this, you know, we'll hit the break and we'll start the pregame show. We've got the White Sox and Red Sox coming your way. So don't go anywhere. We've got baseball headed up for you this afternoon. But here it is the mic'd up session for Dylan Cease alongside Lucas Giolito at Wrigley Field just the other night. Out of all the people to pick, they pick the guy who says like 20 words a game. I know you're mic'd up. Oh, you do? Right now, my physical body is in the dugout of Wrigley Field. Okay. In 45-degree weather with misting rain. My spiritual body. Your ethereal body. body. Yeah. My ethereal body is currently on a beach in the Caribbean. Wow. I'm so warm That sounds beautiful. 
I hope they can hear this audio over my teeth chattering. So, the weather. This is not baseball weather. I can't feel my face in this weather, and I hate it. Lucas, prediction for this at bat. Alright, I'm gonna go home run. Bro, there ain't gonna be any home runs today. I believe in him. I'm gonna go home run over the Sloan in right field off a home run. Are you kidding me? <laughs> That's the most legendary mic'd up moment ever. Oh my god. I die a legend now. That's all I can say. Wow. We're just out here predicting the future. No big deal. These fans behind us right here are really hyping me up. Is there anything you want to tell Sox fans? Wait, wait. Oh, you might. I love you guys. All right, I think I gave them enough content. What do you think? That was a lot of content. That was a lot of content.